is not our first week in Hebrews. Been here quite some time, and uh, over the last couple of weeks, we have been here in chapter 5, seeing throughout the Hebrews a picture of Christ uh, that is unmatched by any other particular book, I believe, as far as the deity of Christ is considered. It begins in chapter 1 with the express intent to show us uh, Christ and his deity. And I believe that for us moving forward this morning, that we must focus on indeed that, how Christ is indeed God and man at the same time being of both dual nature completely man completely God and it is important that we see him thus because uh, what we see in chapter 5 builds upon that naturally and it builds upon that to to show us how man is so uh, unable to serve in these capacities except by the grace of God and then how Christ is of his own person able and willing to serve as high priest and capable without any effort from anyone else, without any anyone or without the Father even enabling him to do it because he is God. And that is what we must see that this creator God, Jesus Christ, uh, the second person of the Trinity, that he is indeed able and willing and self-sufficient in be- being the propitiation for sin and being the savior of all man who would ever be saved. And then we saw uh, after pointing these things out in the first couple chapters of Hebrews, we saw then the promise of the rest that is in Christ. This is for the people who believe that they were following God, the people who came from a lineage of Israel, of, of chosen people of God, yet they didn't see and neither can we see the promise of rest in Christ without intimately knowing the Savior. And so I would ask this morning as we go into a time of prayer before the sermon that we be reminded of the person of Christ, that the the purpose of the text is to point out a biblical Jesus, to lead us to a biblical Jesus and in a walk with the biblical Jesus, because this is the word, uh, the word who became flesh. This is indeed the, the words that we as Christians must live by and are called to follow uh, to the exact T. And when we fail, of course, another opportunity to look at Christ and see his sufficiency. And so by saying that, I would like to read to you. Uh, the first three verses that we be reminded what we've seen in the last couple weeks in Hebrews chapter 5. And then, of course, ending with verse 3 there that we will study today. It says, For every high priest taken among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. In order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins... He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, God of all creation, we come before you this morning. Lord, trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, unto salvation. Lord, trusting in Him for uh, truly righteous works. Lord, for the opportunity to minister His gospel. Lord, the ability to make it 
through this life and into the next, into the presence of our very Savior. Lord, our, our hope lies with Christ and with no one else. Lord, and we come this morning um, in exaltation of Him. Lord, glory to You for providing such a sacrifice, one that is uh, the perfect propitiation, the perfect sacrifice, being that Christ is man, Christ is God. Lord, no other could represent God to man in such a way that we would comprehend uh, our fallen nature or that we would comprehend your goodness. God, that we would see that you truly are deserving of our worship and our praise and our glory. And we ask this morning, Lord, for uh, the abundance of your spiritual blessings, that you would apply them to the lives of everyone who would hear this message, Lord, for those who are unable to make it, Lord, those who are caught at home for whatever reason, God, we just pray that you would, through the power of your spirit and the, the working uh, of his responsibility, God, that you would give the word so appropriately as it is needed, God, for us to see Christ, for us to rest in Christ, for us to be joyful in Christ, and for us to be like Christ. Lord, we pray this morning that sanctification would flow bountifully from the word as it is applied to our lives, God. And we pray that it would be fruitful for your kingdom and for your people, the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Very wonderful passage that we look at this morning. And I, I say it is wonderful, but next week will be even better because uh, this particular verse, verse 3, as we see it, it it's building up from the first two verses. It says uh, that because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. This is talking about the one who would serve as high priest. And the reason it's so wonderful is because we're this close to having exact reference to Jesus Christ himself. We're this close to having the picture of the Messiah finished and completed before us as we move into the text next week and the week following. We will finally see what all of this is leading up to it. But the, the wonderful part about preaching is that if, uh, if it is true biblical preaching, it will exalt Christ even before Christ is directly mentioned. And I say that because Every text, and this is what I said before we went into prayer this morning, we must be reminded that this text either is speaking directly of Christ or it is pointing us in the direction of Christ. And this morning, that is exactly what we see. It is pointing us in the direction of Christ because it is peeling away the sinfulness of man one layer at a time, sort of like an onion. And we're getting down to that nasty core so that we can see how desperate and how weak and how easily sin besets us. And then in the weeks to come, we will see how wonderful a Savior is Jesus our Lord. And that, and that is really why we look at the text. And I want to read it to you again. 
just in, in two translations so that it's not missed, it says in the King James, For every high priest taken among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. Then the NASB says it this way, For every high priest taken among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. And because he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sin, as for the people, so also for himself. Now, if you'll remember in weeks previous, we're talking about this position of high priest. And the problem that we have with our errant human mind, notice I said the errant human mind, because Christ has an inerrant human mind. Mind also of God, beset on the things of God. But with the errant human mind, we tend to think that this position of high priest is something that has existed and then Christ fulfills it. But we must be reminded that before everything was created, before anything came into being, Christ was high priest. And Christ would be high priest. He shall be high priest. He should be and he will forever be high priest. So if we start with the proper biblical view of this, we notice that this is not a position for man that Christ should come along and then fill as man and God. But this is a position created and instituted by God that only Christ could ever fulfill. And because of the grace and mercy of God, men have been placed there so that they will see it will work out no other way than to have God in the flesh fulfill this responsibility. It's very important that we see it like that. In fact, if we don't see it like that, we can never fully understand. And we may, this side of heaven, may never fully understand exactly what is being done here with the, the qualification for the priesthood being described in chapter 5. But I assure you that it is, it is defined by Christ, attempted by men, and then fulfilled again in Christ in order that it will... Follow that picture of the gospel. Follow the illustration that we must first see Christ, then see the sinfulness of man, and then once again return to Christ to see his fulfillment of it and the satisfaction of God's wrath and the, the pleasing of God that it be only fulfilled in Christ. And that is what the gospel does. Anytime that we see anything that is prevalent and, and filled with the gospel, it must look to Christ, then glimpse at man and back to Christ. For eternity, and that is exactly what this position of high priest does. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. We saw that this is one who is chosen of God, anointed of God. He is not qualified in and of himself. He's not qualified uh, in, in spiritual terms, just like we would see in John chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 13. He's not qualified by blood. He's not qualified by will. He's not qualified by any other human, earthly, temporal means, but he must be qualified by God. And 
And that is what this position of high priest is. He's taken out of what he desires to do, away from the world, into the holy, righteous things of God. And he's taken, he's not fit, he's not able, he's not willing, but God makes him thus. Just like with any righteous man before Christ's incarnation, that he would die and he would be with the Lord. The idea is that he can only do this if something was accounted to him as righteousness. It is not his own righteousness. It's not his own ability, but it is Christ. And so that's what we see with this high priest. He's taken from among men. He's drawn away just like with salvation. You're drawn away from the world. You're pulled away from it. You're snatched out, as the Bible would say, of this fire. And you're pulled into this amazing light, a place where darkness is no longer uh, overtaken, but it cannot comprehend the light. The light is going into the darkness. And we know that one little tiny bit of light changes everything in a dark space, right? This is what just a glimpse of Christ will do. And I believe that we saw this last week as we saw the conversion of Saul. That such a, a, a unique glimpse of Christ, may it be a small one, maybe we be blinded, literally just a glimpse is enough. And that's what we read in chapter 15 of Matthew this morning. Even with the woman as you know, Christ is saying, look, I came for the house of Israel. And, and like that, just a glimpse, she said, but doesn't the dog even take from the crumbs of the master's table? Just a small piece of Christ. And that is what the gospel proclaims is just a little bit of Christ is more than enough. He's all sufficient. He is the atoning Lamb of God and His blood is so infinitely priceless. And here we have this priest who is taken among men. He's taken from that by the blood of Christ, by the will of the Father that Christ has come to fulfill. He is taken and He's appointed, He's placed, He's directed, He's instructed. And we should be instantly convicted there because like this priest, every Christian is taken and appointed and instructed by this very word. The church should be very careful and, and often reminded in a text like this that we too have been appointed to something. And indeed it is a peculiar priesthood that we would proclaim Christ until His coming or until the death of the mortal body and we too should serve as Christ, but we don't. I said it a couple weeks ago, you know, we, we, we better be very thankful that Christ doesn't take the attitude that some take in Christianity that we can serve God without doing what he has called us to do. Like, yes, I love God, but you know, I, I, it's not necessary that I go to the cross. Christians take that attitude. Yes, I love God, but you know, I don't have to be assembling with the church. I don't have to be serving the church. I don't have to offer anything. I can love the Lord without doing some of these things. And that is not the attitude of Christ. Nor is it the attitude of a Christian. What do we need there? We need the working of the Holy Spirit. And this is it. That from this position of mere mortal sinful man. One is taken and appointed on behalf of God. Certainly it is speaking here of the priesthood. He's now representing to man God on behalf of man. God doesn't do this for himself. He will be glorified. He shall be glorified. And he will have nothing less. But he has chosen to be represented by the priest so that man will know 
doesn't do it for himself. He does it for us. Appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. Now here is a great revelation that the Christian must have. Because we like to separate, uh, if it be church and state, or we like to separate church and home life or any other uh, means by which we divide our Christian life from the rest of our life. But it says here, in the things pertaining to God, and I will submit to you that if you are a Christian, if you're a called of Christ, certainly you're not of a, a Levitical priesthood or any priesthood that is giving a sacrifice that atones for sins, but we are called to give a sacrifice and that be our lives. And if that is true, then what are the things pertaining to God? Well, that would be everything. Everything. That would be the way that you wake up and get out of bed, the way that you tie your shoe, the way that you speak uh, to your spouse or to your children or to your neighbor, the way that you deal with every situation is the thing pertaining to God, right? Because you are no longer serving yourself, but you are serving the Most High. And so when we see that, this picture of priesthood, not only is it describing how Christ is going to come and fulfill this ultimately like no one else can fulfill it, but it is also at the same time showing us and, and convicting us and moving us to look like this priesthood to consider that everything that we do is pertaining to God. To consider that we are representatives of Christ on earth. That we are heralds of his message. That we certainly are sheep of his fold. And, and we want to know. And we want others to know who the shepherd is. That is the purpose. We are serving the church. And we saw that when Saul was converted. He admittedly was persecuting followers of Christ. And when Christ comes, he doesn't say, hey, I am he whom, whose people you were persecuting. He said, I am he who you were persecuting. That the church is indeed factually married, coupled to Christ. Christ being the bridegroom, the church being the bride. And here we have this position serving those two parties who are really one party in matters pertaining to God in order that He offer both sacrifices and gifts. said in the weeks previous that we, we noticed that these sacrifices are gifts and sacrifices. We, we also must see the model of New Testament giving from this. That what we give as a sacrifice to the Lord should be joyfully out of the abundance that we have. It shouldn't be out of obligation like a tithe. But here is a picture of that New Testament giving because it is indeed speaking of how Christ is coming and how Christ has come to fulfill this position of the priesthood. And so no longer is there a need for a man to give a spotless lamb or a spotless goat or a dove or anything like that. Christ has once and for all given his life. But as Christians, we are still giving. It's a sacrifice, yes, because God has given it to us to be used uh, accordingly to how he has beset it upon us, how he has given it according to our needs. But at the same time, he's given in abundance so that we will sacrificially give gifts of love, gifts of gratitude to the church. To God's people. And it's not for the, it's not for the church to use 
uh, per se for whatever she wants. It's in service to God. And so we have that model of New Testament giving, descri- giving described for us here in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Why are we doing it now? How does that relate? You say, Brother Tim, we're not giving because of sin. Yes, we are. We are giving to God because he has wiped away our sin. And if you don't think that your offering is for sin, it is not atoning for sin, but it is most assuredly because of sin. We are giving to God because he has so graciously and abundantly given us of this plethora of spiritual and temporal gifts that he has. And we are so thankful for it that we'll give anything. You know, I think of times where Brother Charlie has done something for me or James or Pat and, you know, I don't see in the church where anytime somebody's been given something that they expect something back, but it's always nice to be able to give back to them. And that's what this model is. It's not that that God needs something in return. God has given despite your selfishness, despite my selfishness. But the idea is that because we're so thankful, we're willing to do some things for people who have done for us, right? That's how some of us, uh, that is part of our testimony. I know Brother Charlie most certainly has made it, uh, made it known several times that the only reason he ever came to church is because uh, a faithful minister, a pastor, had done something for him and he wanted to repay him and he thought he could do that by coming to church. Little did he know what the pastor did was for him. What the Lord did through this man was for him. Though he's not a priest, the Lord is using, like what we see in the passage this morning, in the things pertaining to God, this man, sinful man, in order that some would be saved, that some would follow Christ. And so here is the model of that. We're we're considering this uh, priest here who is giving for sins. And then uh, the second verse described it like this. He can deal gently with the ignorant misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. This is a description of fallen man, not Christ man, not, not the Messiah Jesus, but we're talking about every other man. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. We're talking about sinfulness, the weakness that Paul would describe in 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there. I want us to see this because it is monumental. We talked about last week how uh, we don't see a prescription for willful sin because the believer should be turning from it and He says this in chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, describing in that the the opposite, that he was weak and he needed to be strengthened. He says, because he considered me faithful. He considered me faithful when really I wasn't. Putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. He's describing all the sins that beset you and I as fallen man, uh, following in the footsteps of our father, Adam. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with faith and love, which are found in Christ Jesus. Here we have the description. How can one deal gently 
How can one deal with the ignorant and misguided? Because this priest was a man who, like Paul, though we esteem him highly as a great man of God, and he was used greatly of the Lord, and he was indeed devout to Christ, he can only be used if he really was ignorant and misguided, and the Lord has brought him out of that. The gospel has delivered him from that. He can deal gently because he, he sympathizes because he has been this very same man. He himself beset with weakness. What does he say? His strength is in the Lord. His strength is in Christ. His strength is in the Messiah. Here is his anchor holding him from drifting away and from losing his place. Heaven says he's beset with weakness. And then we get to the verse in which we look at today. And it says, and because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. Excuse me. As for the people, so also for himself. Now we know immediately at the coming to that particular verse, this is not speaking directly of Christ because Christ is giving no sacrifice for his own sin. Indeed, it is showing us, like I said, Christ, then mere man in this position of priesthood, and then soon in the weeks to come, we will have revealed for us the greatest, highest priest, Jesus Christ. And we don't have to wait for two weeks to see that. But we can look in it uh, here this morning and we'll see that verse 3 as we look at it again. And because of it, talking about something specifically, he's talking about the dealing gently and ignorantly and misguided because he himself is beset with weakness. Because he is beset with weakness because of it, because he is sinful as we see. He is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. These sacrifices aren't sacrifices because the Lord has given you so much wealth that you sacrifice. I think some people fall into that trap that they give not because, uh, and, and at this time, even the same way, they're giving not because of sin, but they're giving because we just got plenty. We just have plenty, so we'll just give some of it. We can do without it. That's the wrong attitude to take with any kind of giving, especially uh, if it be if we're trying to appease the Lord, which we may not in the flesh, but if we're trying to give to the kingdom, if we're trying to give back to the king or to the church in support of what God has called us to do, if, if our attitude is in that way that we're giving simply because we've just got plenty extra, then, then we're missing the point. But it says he, he is obligated. Obligated means he must. And so what the, what the proper understanding of this text is, is that there is a connection here between, as you see in verse 3, because of the obligation and the ignorance and the misguided sinfulness. Therefore, he is serving in this place of priesthood. Why is he doing that? Because there is sin. And if he is a priest, he is obligated by it to do what is named afterwards. There is an infirmity described here. There is a, a falling, failing man. F-A-I-L-I-N-G. Just in case I said it kind of southern. Failing man. And here the infirmity is meeting the obligation of the priest. And the sin is described here. And we should see this because it is all too important that our sin, if, if we have some and we do, 
we, we hope that it is out of ignorance and misguidedness because if it's not, that means it is willful and habitual. That means we have a, a real sin problem, a blinding sin problem. All, all more so the importance of assembling together as a church because there is willful sin. There is habitual sin. There is blinding sin from which, again, we must be snatched. We must be grabbed out. We must be taken. We must be confronted by those who are in the congregation, by those uh, who are in authority over us, whether it be uh, elders or pastors, those who are who are like minded, serving Christ. We are accountable to one another because there are two sides to this coin, ignorant and misguided and willful sin. And here it is talking about the place of the priest that he is giving and that he is offering this sacrifice and he's obligated to it because there are sins of ignorance. There are sins of misguidedness, sins of unlearnedness. And really in all of that, it really is just described under the heading of ignorance, under the heading of laziness. Why do we not know what God expects? Because we are lazy. Because we are not uh, efficient servants of the master. Because we are careless at times. Anytime that we see somebody doing something wrong and we know it's wrong, we call their attention to it, right? And if you're like me, I need forgiveness. Cassidy and Bethany and Brandon could testify to it. Sometimes I'm like, did you not read the instructions? The very, I, I, I remember last week, Brandon showed me a camper and it, he loved it so much. And then I went back and I said, did you not read the very first three words? Water damaged unit. And then it repeated it. Water damaged unit. All caps, exclamation point, the first portion of the title. And he missed it. It was laziness. And I was upset by it, but you know what? I'm guilty of it. The Bible is describing that guilt for us this morning because the instruction has been laid out before us. It's in all caps. It's in red letters. It's underlined. It's contained in this uh, collection of books that we call the Holy Bible. And we are ignorant because we have failed to read it. Not only are we ignorant, and that's a, a title that we really don't enjoy too much, but because of it, we are sinful. And if we are sinful, then we are guilty. If we're guilty, then there remains a need for sacrifice. The only thing that we can say as Christians is that Christ has paid that. A wonderful thing to consider this man dealing at this time, talking about a priesthood before Christ's incarnation, that this man would give sacrifices for himself because he was sinful and for others. He's obligated to it because there are sins of ignorance. There are sins of error because we are not faithful. The gospel picture there is Christ is, you are not, you better turn back to Christ. There's the picture of the faithfulness of God in Christ. Then it goes on. It says, and by reason hereof he ought. As for the people in the King James. There's this oblig obligatory idea that he must. He has to. Indeed, he will 
for these reasons, dealing gently, offering sacrifices for sins. How are we seeing Christ in this? Well, I would submit to you because Christ said words like these multiple times, I come not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. What was he doing? He was fulfilling his obligation as Messiah, as God incarnate, to do what must be done for sins. And what really the outline of this priesthood that is being described for us here this morning, remember, these are people who have missed the entire boat when it comes to following God, to looking for the Messiah. They thought that they had this particular religious system that would bring salvation, but they are missing the point. And I want us to go to Leviticus chapter one in order that we would see this. Hopefully you can follow the logic. very tough several texts that we want to read Leviticus chapter 1 and the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting saying speak to the sons of Israel and say to them when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd of the flock if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd he shall offer it a male without defect he shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting and he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall lay the young bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is, excuse me, at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces. The, <coughs> excuse me, the head and suet over the wood which is on the fire so that it is on the altar. Its entrails, however, and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer it up in smoke, all of it on the altar for a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering is from the flock of the sheep of the goats for a burnt offering, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall slay it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle its blood around the altar. He shall then cut it into pieces with its head and suet, and the priest, excuse me, <clears throat> shall arrange them on the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. The entrails, however, and the legs, he shall wash with water. The priest shall offer all of it and offer it up in smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire and a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if this offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of the birds, and he shall bring his offering from the turtle doves or from young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and offer it up in smoke on the altar and its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall also take away its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar eastward to the place of the ashes. Then he shall tear it by its wings but shall not sever it. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar on the wood which is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. 
This looks like a very dangerous position, doesn't it? This priesthood. In fact, any time I've ever considered it, I thought, I wouldn't want to be there. I would be scared that I would mess it up. That is exactly what Hebrews chapter 5 is showing us. That man cannot fulfill the duty and the responsibility and the payment and the penalty of sin which is due God to satisfy His wrath. The priesthood is again showing us that over and over again that man, mere man, cannot do. Will not suffice. All the effort. Listen, he only had to give one instruction and we could mess it up. But then we see this picture, this entire book dedicated to this priesthood and what must be done and how it must be done at what time and in what manner. What a great responsibility. One that man really cannot bear forever. Not mere man. This is really the, the rule and the rulings and the proceedings for which the priest ought to, as the Bible said, offer these sacrifices. We look and we soon see that it's impossible. And then it must happen again and again and again. And sin is never fully atoned for. Why? Because Christ had yet to come in the flesh. And then remember, now we're in the New Testament. And we're speaking to a people who have heard the gospel of Christ and for some reason or another, they need to be reminded of the inferior priesthood that they would see the superiority of Christ's priesthood. One who is after the order of Melchizedek. They're being urged here not to fall back into the old sacrificial system or the system in which they rested upon the law for justification. But they're called to look somewhere else to the greater highest greatest priest who is Christ and that is indeed what the text is calling us to do to move further to see someone else because what we're seeing now isn't good enough it isn't a once and for all sacrifice it hasn't been something that has truly forever atoned for sin and what we see is that these men are, are called to do it in this manner, do it this way, at the appropriate time. And we see time and time again how Christ is exactly doing this. He says, my hour has not yet come. He's a punctual Savior. Always timely. Always in the correct manner, with the correct attitude. Christ is serving the Father. He is on earth. Now reigning in heaven, we see that he is giving at this time the instruction for those who would be considered uh, the church, so to speak, the people of God, the chosen ones. And that is what we are this morning, the church. We must see what this Levitical priesthood is leading up to in Christ. Consider chapter four of Leviticus. Speak unto the children of Israel. Saying, if a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and shall do against any of them. Now, look at that again. It says, if a soul shall sin through ignorance. 
Exactly what is being described here in chapter 5. Ignorance. Unlearnedness. Misguidedness. If the priest that is anointed, here it is, the anointing of God that lies upon the priesthood, that he has been anointed by God. If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, let them bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for sin offering. Here's a requirement of the offering of the sin of himself. He shall bring it to the door of the tabernacle and the congregation before the Lord and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take the bullock's blood and bring to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is the tabernacle of the congregation shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for the sin offering, the fat that covereth the inwards and all the fat that is upon the inwards and the two kidneys and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks and the call above the liver with the kidneys. It shall he take away. And at this time, I'm thinking, I didn't do so good in science, anatomy, that here's a guy, he better pay attention to detail. Who would want this responsibility? And I don't think anyone would volunteer for it. And now we're seeing what a great responsibility it is. And today, I believe there's no greater time to see this. This is Mother's Day. And it's a day of honor among mothers where they can be thankful and they can be honored and lifted up, so to speak, because of their duty towards their children and what they've done. But we see it's a great responsibility. And in the same manner, is it not only a responsibility and an honor, but we notice that we didn't make ourselves into this position. The Lord has placed us there. And so now you can see that this is not your typical Mother's Day message. I'm not going to tell you how great moms are. They are. They're wonderful. God made them. Okay. But all of it is a picture of Christ, an illustration for us that we're serving as he has called us to serve. And it's not always wonderful. Mamas have to do a lot of things that they don't want to do. The priest, I'm sure, love being covered by blood, right? Sure, he loves separating the organs of animals. And, and I guarantee you he was there thinking, man, this place is full of sinners. I'm so busy working overtime. And now we see just how desperately our need is for a Savior. Not just a priest, but a Savior. One who can put an end to all of this and who can satisfy all these requirements. Talks about the skin. Says the whole bullock shall he carry forth with the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are then poured out and burn him on the wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, he shall be burnt. Then again, we see the anointed priest and it, and, and it refers to him time and time again, one who is anointed. Who better is there to be described as anointed than Jesus Christ? That's where it's pointing us, an ultimate anointing. He shall dip his finger in the blood. 
blood on the horns of the altar, taking the fat from the animal time and time again. Or if his sin, wherein he has sinned, come to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goat, a male without blemish. And here we go again, another sacrifice for another sinner who is serving as priest. And he needs nothing short of a lamb without spot, without blemish. And this is for ignorant misguided sin and it goes on and on and then we consider what is really happening what is really happening when the verse says and because of all this he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people so also for himself Leviticus chapter 16 describing The sin offering for the group of people. We've seen it for the individual. Now we see it for the group. Everyone must pay for their sin. No one is left out. No one is is exempt from this. Not even the priest. Not even the priest. He has to go out and do all of these things for himself and for the people There must be a proper sacrifice. There must be a sufficient sacrifice given. I want to stray from my notes at this point because I believe that herein is where the Hebrew people were being instructed because they missed the sacrificial system and they missed the Christ who is serving as greatest, highest priest. They missed the priesthood because like I said this morning earlier, they thought that the priesthood existed and then Christ came to fulfill it when indeed Christ existed. There was one who eternally was a priest. Men appointed to fulfill until his incarnation and then he comes to ultimately finally fulfill how do we know the system as we view it we think man has had to give an animal sacrifice until Christ arrives right that's what our mind thinks man has had to give an animal sacrifice until Christ arrives and then it is once and for all done and we're partially right but what we miss is the priesthood before the priesthood. Where do we go? Genesis chapter 3. And now we'll see the model of the gospel as it calls us to see Christ, to see God, creator of all creation, and then to see man and his sinfulness, and then once again to see God. We look at Genesis chapter 3 and this is the fall of man. It says the serpent was craftier and he has called the woman. And he says, you shall not eat if you take of this fruit. We're around verse 4. He says, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Fast forward a little bit. Verse 8. They've partaken. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then he said, then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? 
He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle. More than every beast of the field on your belly you will go. Dust you will eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and her seed and your seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Then to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, you shall not eat from, that I said you should not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. And toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. By thorns and thistles it shall grow. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread to return to the ground. Because of it you were taken from, for you are dust and dust you shall return. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Where's the first sacrifice? It's not with the Levitical priesthood. It's not with anyone other than God. And I will submit to you that this verse, though it be short, God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. It represents all of the priesthood. It represents all of salvation. Why? Because God has instructed from before all of creation, righteousness was righteousness and holiness was holiness and we have perverted it. He's instructed us. And what does he, what does he do? God makes garments of skin from animals. The first sacrifice, though some would say it would be in chapter 4 with Cain and Abel as they bring of the ground and of the flock. The real first sacrifice is here. Notice this, that this is a picture of what Christ is doing in the priesthood. Being God himself, he's sacrificing the animal, but he provided it. He created it. Those skins didn't just come out of nowhere. And he didn't have to sneak up on it and take it and kill it and offer it as a sacrifice. This is showing us exactly what Christ is doing and that he created and that He provided, and that He has sacrificed. He didn't need man to find the animal or to create the animal. Here, God took of His own what belonged to Him. And now we see that the Son belonging to the Father because of His obedience to the Word, not because of His sinfulness, because He was not sinful. He who knew no sin became sin for us but because of his obedience to God he was that sacrifice and it says that he gave his life it wasn't taken from him he willingly gave his life and now we see what the Bible is saying now we see what Hebrews is pointing us to see an earthly sinful priest could never fully satisfy the wrath of God, do sin. This is the picture of the gospel. That Christ 
God, the Creator, has always made the sacrifice. Has always been the sacrificer. He's always been the priest. No one else could do it. Our lamb doesn't come from our own effort. We see the same with Jacob. God is providing the increase. God is providing the sacrifice. God is making us willing to sacrifice. Because Christ is God, He was willing to save His own, His beloved bride. And so when we get to chapter 5, verse 3, and we see the sinfulness of man as it is described in this priesthood, because of it, He's obligated to offer sacrifices for sin as for the people, so also for Himself. Christ is not one who is obligated to offer a sacrifice for Himself. But by being God... By being the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, he has obligated himself to be the propitiation for men, to be the righteousness of men where we could find none. In, in, in essence, the, the, the pointing is to look not to the earthly man in his priesthood, but look to the God man who is Christ because he is all sufficient. Because He has done what no other can do. And the reason that we assemble this morning is because the passage is true in its description. Every other priest is sinful. There needs to be a sacrifice. There is an obligation. And when we see that here is a sinful man serving as priest, when we see Christ, we should say, that's the priest that I need. How? Because not only does he know how to defeat sin, he knows how to keep from it. That's what we need. Don't you see, the the Levitical priesthood really didn't do much for the people. It was an atonement for the sin that they had already committed, but there was no sanctification in it. At least there seemed not to be. There uh, There was no keeping from sin. They would sin again and need another sacrifice. But what the Bible says is there has come a priest, a great high priest, who is able to lift you up from the lowest points of sin, from the deepest, darkest depravity, and he will pay the price for your sin. And not only will he pay the price from your sin, but he will lead you out of temptation. He will lead you from sin, from darkness to light. He is taking that away from you, which you could not take away from yourself. He is providing the escape. He is a high priest who is not only bringing the atonement, the atoning sacrifice, the blood that you so desperately need, but he is taking you away from the devouring lion. That is what Christ is doing in the life of the believer. That is why we assemble. That is why it's important that the church assembles together. That is why it's important to read the word. That's why it's important to preach the gospel so that we're not only saying, yes, Christ is sufficient, but we are following the shepherd. But we are following his example. But we are running and fleeing from sin. As John the Baptist would say, Who's warned you? The warning is the good news of the gospel. The joyfulness 
is that very same good news. For one, it's condemnation. For the other, it's salvation. We see the picture because it says, I came not to judge. I, I come in peace. And then later on, he says, I, what will I do? I will come to judge. The reality is that for some, Christ is the Savior, the partner. And for others, he is the judge. The executioner. The one who will justly fulfill what God has ordered him to do. The Father, that is. Now the qualifications for priesthood don't look so well with men, right? Qualification for priesthood, some think, was to be sinful. And in all actuality, it was not. It's to be man. But now what we have is a priest who is not only man, but who is perfect God. A priest who is like any other. Yes, he can sympathize. But he knows the way and he leads by example. Isn't that what everybody wants? I can remember growing up hearing, do as I say, not as I do. Christ can say, do as I say, as I have done. That's a priest. That is the greatest, highest priest. And what we know is that we cannot do as Christ has done. But we can trust in Him, knowing that His sacrifice is sufficient. That He is a true spotless Lamb without blemish. And I thought about it more and more as the time drew near this morning to preach the sermon. Even if they had to go to the flock, these priests and these men, these simple men, and they had to get a lamb without spot and blemish, I've got an issue. I've had two lambs in two weeks. Both of them have spots. Both of them have blemishes. Just how needful is it that God intervened to provide that? Even in the temporal priesthood, no man could go out and find a perfect animal. He didn't create it. He must rely on God. And that's what we have missed throughout the whole situation. That is what the Hebrew people in the New Testament has missed. They were keeping going back to their efforts and to their human ability when they should have been saying, you know what? It has been God from the very beginning to provide. Both the sacrifice, the temporal uh, things that we need, the sustenance. And that is what the gospel is, to see that God has always, man corrupts, God restores and reconciles. Even with the Levitical offerings, God must have provided the lamb. God must have provided the sacrifice. God must have given us the breath to go to the flock and take. And with Christ, He has brought the flock to the Lamb. What an amazing thing. For the Lamb must be brought to the people before the people at the altar. Now the flock is being drawn to the Lamb who has already gone, especially for us to consider the Lamb has already gone to the altar before we even knew that we needed a sacrifice. How wonderful a Savior is that. 
How wonderful a sacrifice is it that before you ever sin, God sent the sacrifice. God is the sacrifice in the person of Christ and he has gone to the altar and he has sprinkled the blood about and he has sufficed. He has satisfied that requirement. What a time to rely on Christ. What a call to see Jesus. And it only gets better in the weeks to come. If the Lord should tarry and we be gifted with another day, another Sunday, that we should see this forever priest who is coming in the text. This forever priest who can do what no other has done, Jesus Christ. And that is the call this morning to those who know Christ is to trust and to rest in Him as we saw in chapter 4. But for those who don't know Christ, who have yet to publicly profess that Jesus is Lord and that He is indeed the King of Kings, that He is the Sovereign One in control, this is the time. Today is the day of salvation to place your trust in the Lord, to call upon His name and to recognize His work, His completed work, His sacrifice. To know that the blood has already been spilt. The sacrifice has already been given. That the Lamb that is Jesus Christ is better than anything that you could offer. You could only pray that some this morning would hear about this Christ. And that this would be the saving gospel that they rely on. So this time I ask that we would all bow our heads and pray, be thankful for what we have seen in the text this morning and just pray that He be effectual unto the others for salvation. Father God, we come to You, Lord, because we know that Your Word is true. Lord, we know that Christ is the preeminent, premier Savior. Lord, the Alpha and the Omega the I am, the way, the truth, the light, the door. This is the Christ in whom we serve. Lord, we pray this morning that you would receive our worship. Lord, that we would be sanctified by the reading and of your word and the preaching of your text of your son, Jesus Christ, that he would be high and lifted up, exalted. Lord, but ultimately, for the sake of your kingdom and for your glory, Lord, that you would save some today. Lord, that you would cause uh, with a mighty spiritual hand, Lord, and that creator uh, mentality that would put in us a new heart. Lord, that you would do that for some here today, that they would lift up their voice to heaven and shout that Christ has saved them or that they have trusted in your word for your word is your son, the good shepherd. Or we thank you for him Lord, and for the grafting in that we too could be recipients of the salvation. Or we just ask that you would be glorified in all that is said and done today or that you would bless the food Lord, and that we could Uh, Rejoice in your provision of humankind with mothers. Lord, we thank you for them. Ask that you you would give them uh, a great blessing today. Lord, and that we would be ultimately thankful to you, the sovereign one who has placed them here. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.